Hi, I'm Jay Gilbert. And I'm Mike Etchart. Welcome to a special bonus episode of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Jay and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Will Page to break down his recent study, SoundCloud Rockonomics. Yeah, Will Page is the author of the critically acclaimed book, Tarzan Economics, and it's been translated into five languages and published in paperback under the title Pivot. As the former chief economist of Spotify and PRS for Music, Will pioneered Rockonomics back in April of 2021. We spoke to Will about his insightful study, Twitch's Rockonomics. As a fellow of the London School of Economics, Will recently penned a discussion paper on globalization, and that's received some global acclaim. Showing that the world isn't flat, the Financial Times summarized his findings as music markets are glocalizing and the English-speaking world better get used to it. A passionate communicator, Will is a regular contributor to the BBC, Financial Times, The Economist, and co-host of my favorite podcast, Bubble Trouble, along with the brilliant and snarky Richard Kramer. (laughs) So without further ado, here is our conversation with Will Page. Let it roll. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. We're going to talk about SoundCloud Rockonomics. I just remember how much I enjoyed the Twitch Rockonomics. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And now... There's SoundCloud Rockonomics. So tell us about the size of the audience or monthly average users that SoundCloud has compared to DSPs like Spotify and what you meant by your statement that SoundCloud should be seen less as a competing brand of gin and more of a complimentary tonic to the other streaming services. For sure. I mean, to put a rough number on SoundCloud in terms of weekly or monthly active users, I think north of 100 million would be fair. Um, it's not just app based, it's laptop based. So what's that as big as YouTube in terms of subscribers, but obviously not free users, perhaps as big as Apple music. So it's up there. I mean, you've got your four horsemen, Apple, YouTube, Amazon, Spotify, and then you've got this kind of weird fifth one, which runs a different type of race. It's not running in that race. And I think the interesting thing right there is that the SoundCloud base, they're all using one of those other services. This is gin and tonic because everyone using SoundCloud also uses Spotify or also uses an Apple Music. 
So it's complementary to the four horsemen. It's not a competitor. And that's a, that's a big thing, I think, which needs to be kind of stressed out here in terms of not just the size, but the fact it complements in many different ways, not just usage, but the way that artists use it as well. So there's, a, there's an interesting distinction there. Yeah, and let me just do a follow-up really quick. Um, tell us a little bit about that one in four stat. Mm-hmm. So we, you ask about how many people are using it as consumers. That's one side of the fence. This is a genuine two-sided market because on the other side, you've got the creators. Now, just put some rough numbers around this. I think Spotify is on record saying they have 9 million creators on the platform. I have no Scooby-Doo how that's supposed to be measured. Is Coldplay four creators or is it one? I don't know, <laughs> but they have 9 million. That's the figure. SoundCloud's public figure is 40 million, <laughs> a ton more than Spotify. But to stress how creator-orientated SoundCloud is, this is a stat that just still to this day befuddles me, which I worked with Salman Chowderoy at Sensor Tower, great company, close colleague, trying to make sense of app analytics. You know, just a quick diversion here. You understand how an app is working, you have to triangulate the download data, one-shot game, did Jay download that app? The active user data, which is, is he actually using the app that he downloaded? And you can think of lots of apps on your phone you haven't used in a long time. And then the third data point is frequency count. SoundCloud does all that, but they do something else, which is really, really cool, which is at Sensor Tower, you can look at app overlap. That is, people using this app, what else are they using? And in the case of SoundCloud, and I just fact-checked this before coming on the pod, those who are using SoundCloud, one in four of them are also using not Spotify, but Spotify for Artists, an artist verification tool to give you the tools to use Spotify to your best advantage. That's nuts. A quarter of their user base are using Spotify for Artists. Wow. That tells you how creator-focused this platform is. You really need to kind of stop and think about that for a quick second. Wow. So back in May, Will, SoundCloud announced fan-powered royalties. Talk about what that means and why it matters. So fan-powered royalties is their version of user-centric distribution. But firstly, it's opt-in. That is, if you want to be paid by the status quo pro-rata model, that's fine. You'll get your money based on your pro-rata share of the pool. But if you want to be paid on a user-centric basis and receive those user-centric creator tools that SoundCloud has, you opt into fan-powered royalties. And Warner Music was one of the first majors to opt in. I believe since then, and since the work got published, um, Merlin has also opted in, and a bunch of indies and DIY platforms have opted in as well. Of all the sort of who's who of the label zoo here, I think you guys might find it interesting that DistroKid dominates the debate on Spotify. It doesn't really dominate the debate on SoundCloud. They could be one and the same people, but I've got a funny feeling people who join DistroKid might join SoundCloud as well. So it's it's weird that like the parties that are coming into Fanpowered Royalties are a different mix. Again, a distinction from how you might have perceived the company prior to this work and how you might look at other companies as well. Interesting. You really shine a light on specific case studies on Fanpowered Royalties. What are some of the things you learned? So the big thing that we were learning was I wanted to move our industry closer to the phrase du jour of 2024, which is the word fandom. And you know me, I'm like a dog on heat when people debate something they don't understand. I'm like, I've got to go into my back cave, churn out some economics and help people understand that topic a little better than they are currently doing. And fandom was an interesting one for me. And what's interesting with fan-powered royalties, if it is literally Jay's 
10 bucks a month goes to just Jay's music and Mike's 10 bucks a month goes to just Mike's music is we begin to understand fan distribution. And you can't do that in the pro rata model. So if we're talking about fandom and superfans, what is the point of creating superfans on Spotify or Apple when all their streams are worth exactly the same as everyone else? The law of averages, the impact of pooling revenues. But when you go into a user-centric model like fan-powered royalties, you can see the intensity of fan distribution. Who are those true fans? Who are those passive fans? And that's what I wanted to get at. But I wanted to do it respectfully. I didn't want to put a dollar sign next to it or an absolute value next to it. I felt I could tell the story by working around those commercial sensitivities and just asking two very simple questions. One, what percentage of your fan base on SoundCloud are super fans? And then question two, what percentage of your revenue came from those super fans? And that's non-intrusive. That's just light touch, telling the story respectfully. And that's what I was able to get into with some case studies on the report. Super cool. Uh, one of the criticisms of digital service providers like Spotify and Apple Music is that the artist doesn't have access to their fans. Talk about how SoundCloud is kind of flipping that, that script. I think I can talk to it. I can't talk too much about it. And I'll explain why. I think the, the excitement about fan-powered royalties from SoundCloud end, it has to be framed as a means to an end. It's not, we launched this and here's Tom with weather. That's not what we're talking about here. I think the whole initiative SoundCloud has, and it's specific to SoundCloud, it's not saying everyone else should do what they're doing. It's simply to say, when you have a, a service that's as distinct as SoundCloud, that creator element that we discussed earlier, having fan-centric, fan-powered royalties, a user-centric model, makes sense when you then launch the creator tools which are coming down the pipe. So you have comments already, you have private links, but they have a big plan for more and more tools to come down the pipe to make use of the fan-powered royalties model. So I think that's a way of artists being able to get closer to their fans. Um, you're actually looking at communication tools in the platform too, which is really interesting. Like it's strange to think 23 years after the launch of Rapstein, you guys were there when that, that business got started. We still can't compensate our fans directly. And we still can't communicate to our bands directly. I think SoundCloud's cracked the first one because fan powered is direct compensation and it's on its way to cracking the second one. And that's when it takes two to tangle. You need a fan power royalty model and you need to create a tools. And then this thing comes to life. That is really exciting to me. Um, um, in the length of a tweet, I stole that from you, of course, tell our audience the difference between the current pro rata model versus SoundCloud's sort of hybrid model of user centric and pro rata. I think there's a lot of confusion in the marketplace. Like what's pro rata, what's user centric, what's this hybrid thing. Can you shed a little light on that? Sure. I mean, the best way to perhaps open up this debate for those who are new to it. And I think a lot of your audience will not be new to it because boy, has it had a lot of airtime over the past two years. But I think the best way to say, did you know that Spotify and Apple are paying artists that you've never listened to with your money? <laughs> And that's a nice knee-jerk, clickbaity statement, which is actually true. It's not necessarily wrong, but it's a way of making people wake up and realize, what do you mean my money's going to artists I've never listened to? Because of the pooling effect, if Jay's up all night because he's on MDMA streaming 25 hours a day, and Mike's <laughs> a light user a couple of hours a week, then Mike's light usage is subsidizing Jay's heavy consumption. 
So sorry if I got the drug analogies wrong. It might have been Mike that's on the MDMA. We'll find out. But still, you can see right there the pro rata model. We're pooling all that cash. So you get 1% of all the streams created in America last month. You're going to get 1% of all the cash generated in America last month. That's the nature of the beast. With user-centric, we're taking fractions, mathematically speaking, and we're looking at what fraction of your account was spent with artist A, what fraction of your account was spent with artist B, and we allocate the cash based on that term. So to flip it back to my favorite case study in the report, this you know, top 10, top five rapper in America, Little Uzi Vert, what I could say about him was that his top 7% of fans generated 70% of all his revenues. Now, I want to repeat that because this is super important for your audience. The top 7%, not just 7%, the top, the head of the distribution of 7% of his fans generated 70% of all of his income for that given month. Now, that sentence, very flippant remark, 7 equals 70 but we've waited 23 years to say that sentence because that's fan distribution and that gets you closer to fandom. You imagine what the tools would mean if you could do something with that 7%. You know, work with Fred Goldring in pressing business and sell him some vinyl like Travis Scott did, 500,000 copies. Right. You know, well more than half sold. Now you can do fan distribution, you can do fan segmentation, and then the old tools of marketing kick right back in there. So that's that's the interesting bit. With user-centric, you can do that. With Prorata, you can't. I'm not advocating one or the other here. I just want to enlighten your audience to understand when SoundCloud changes the rules, you fundamentally change the game. Super interesting. Uh, let's talk about the long tail as it relates to SoundCloud's business, Will. Well, there's a, a lot more songs on SoundCloud reportedly from a lot more creators, uh, understandably. And I think the long tail on SoundCloud is kind of interesting because they can do different things. I mean, little things that you can do in the long tail, such as private links. You know, what's a private link? On SoundCloud, it's a big thing. When you get a private link from SoundCloud, you lean in. That is somebody who is at least one, two, three degrees of separation from you saying, I got this album coming down the pipe. I want you to check it out. You lean in. This is not mass marketing. This is niche, but it's an important niche. So I think that's an important part of the long tail. Um, I'd also suggest that SoundCloud is much more frontline than catalog than other platforms. You know, you hear reports that 80% of streams are now catalog. Well, there's a problem with the catalog rule, but we won't go there today. Um, on SoundCloud, I would say it's well more than half of streams are frontline. So, you know, A, there's pre-release strategies on SoundCloud down in the long tail. B, there's a much more frontline ethos to it. And I think C, the third point is, I don't know whether this word will resonate with Americans, but in soccer, as you call it, we have feeder clubs. And I'm sure in college football, it's the same thing as you play players up towards the NFL, which is your mission in life is not to win the trophy. It's to find the next Gareth Bale and sell him to Real Madrid for 95 million quid. Your job is to find and develop, not necessarily to win. You optimize for a different game. Now, it's for SoundCloud to talk to their strategy, but it's clear to me there's so many artists use SoundCloud as a springboard to bigger things. I was fascinated to learn about Post Malone, who I believe has got one of the best management teams in the music industry behind him, but just that was a really important springboard, huge on SoundCloud, built his momentum, then went to the majors, then went to the Spotify's and Amazons, absolutely crushed it, and his demand on SoundCloud fell a little. And that's interesting. So... You have these three distinctions on SoundCloud, which makes that whole that whole purpose very different from the four horsemen that we talked about earlier. Wow. You mentioned in the report 
the time, labor, and money being allocated by labels and streaming services into building dashboards, you know, that that should be applauded. But for artists monitoring more dashboards than they have fingers on one hand can become more of a hindrance than a help. What did you mean by that? Well, Jay, actually, for you guys, I'm going to build you guys a dashboard so you can monitor all the dashboards that the music industry is monitoring right now, okay? So we're going to see a big spike on Monday morning Pacific time as all those dashboards lighten up. No, pun intended. What I'm saying here is there really only needs to be one. And that's not to say all information can be summarized into one dashboard. I'm saying that for busy artists, busy managers, busy label execs, busy A&R teams, they don't have the time to troll through a Spotify dashboard, an Apple dashboard, an Amazon dashboard. The tools and the data scientists who built these tools are phenomenal and deserve a big high five fist pump. But there's just too many. There's just too many. And we yeah. need to do something about that. Now, with SoundCloud, what was interesting there was and that SoundCloud, there's an artist, Kelo Latasha, that I did a case study on in the report, where she distributes her music on SoundCloud creates her music and distributes on SoundCloud, not just to the SoundCloud audience, which is sizable, but also onto the Spotify's, the Apple's, the Amazon's. Then she has one dashboard where she can see her performance across all. We even have an animation of that dashboard inside the report. And again, this is not to promote one service over the other. It's just to make people think, would the world be better if we just had one dashboard and we could use our time that much more effectively? Any more than one dashboard is one dashboard too many. Case closed. True. Uh, you reported that today we have stream fraud as artists and or their teams exploit the rules of the game to compete for stream share. How does SoundCloud approach? Uh, how does the sound? I'm sorry. How does SoundCloud's approach address streaming fraud? It's a big one. Um, so I explained how user centric ring fences money to just your music, which prevents that anomaly of thanks to Jay's heavy listening because he's taking so much drugs, he's stealing Mike's consumption patterns, okay? I really am. But what we did in the report was I stumbled on an anomaly, which is SoundCloud run duplicate systems. For those who opt out of fan power royalties, you're getting your pro rata share. For those who opt in, you're getting your user-centric share. That means you can measure the difference between the two, and indeed they do that. And if the difference is huge, that is under one model you are going to get hundreds of thousands of dollars, and another model, you're going to get a subway bus ticket, then you might want to look at that and ask, why is it that different? Again, when you discuss fraud, the things you've got to keep in mind are the speed to detect and remove the incentives. And this helps speeding up detection because if it takes six weeks to detect fraud and the checks are going out every five weeks, the horse is bolted before you can lock the stable. What I also brought to this debate, though, was a really interesting framework. And I really hope, and I'd love it if you could use this in your write-up for your audience, but this is a hot topic right now, stream forward, and it's not going away. You know, we have governments, regulators beginning to look into this. We've known it's been going on for years. And I worked with Morgan Haydock, a close friend and colleague at BeatDebt, and we built the Haydock page stream forward matrix. There is no sexy acronym. We spent a while on this one, but <laughs> stick with me, the Haydock page matrix. And we said, what types of fraud are they? And I pushed Morgan to say, you've got to summarize it in three, one, comma, two, and three. He said, there's one, there's click farms. We know what they are. You know, when you learn that your number one city is Jakarta, Indonesia, and you've never toured there, let me tell you why your number one city is Jakarta, Indonesia. It's a huge F off click farm. Two, there's carbon copies, deep fake tracks, manipulating names and track titles to get uh, stream counts. That's a big thing. Under AI music, it's an even bigger thing. And then three, and finally, there's account hacking. And that's a much riskier type of fraud. 
Then we have our three types of fraud. Stay with me because we're going to complete the matrix real quick. If you think about pro rata and user centric in terms of exposure and insulation, we get different stories. So for click farms and carbon copies, pro rata is heavily exposed. There's a big pot of cash there. And the more you can steal before the invoice period is up, the more money you're going to get. And there's been people at this for well over a decade. User centric is insulated because Jay's 10 bucks goes to just Jay's music. No click farm can touch it. On the account hacking, it goes the other way. Prorater is insulated because one account hack can't affect the pool, whereas user-centric is deeply exposed. Now, again, I want to be very impartial here. It's not to argue one or the other, but it's to educate the audience that there's no silver bullet to solving Ford. Forces are going to afford. Morgan Haydock is very keen to reiterate that point. But we can see there that user-centric pushes Ford into a direction where it becomes riskier. And remember, crime needs to pay. So if it becomes a riskier type of fraud, that's a bigger deterrent in itself. Yeah, we're we're so deep into this. We're so interested in this. We had Morgan on the podcast uh, last week discussing this, and it's it's not going to go away anytime soon. One of the things I wanted to get your thoughts on, and it's really sort of outside of the report itself, is really you've sort of got this this reputation when you create these reports that it's it's not just too long, didn't read. It's not a bunch of text. It's these things are stunning. And you can tell that a lot of time and energy went into the presentation and the way that you can sort of go through the report and you don't get that fatigue, that there are visuals that help you sort of lock that stuff into your brain. Talk about your process in putting that together. Yeah. Well, I have to thank my father for this. Um, my father taught me how to teach economics when I was 11 years old. I hadn't even entered high school. And he said, when you try and teach this subject, you have to look at an audience and look at them and think, how do you teach this subject to somebody who A, doesn't think they're going to understand it, B, doesn't want to understand it, but C, has to understand it. And from the age of 11, I've held that lesson close to my heart. You know, it's really a case of looking at the least interested person in the room and saying, I have to get this to them. You know, you look at an audience, I'm partially sighted, so that's hard to do, but still, you look at an audience, you think, that dude over there by the coffee counter, I'm going to teach this presentation to him, and the whole audience comes with me. So my my father gave me that lesson, and I hope it bears fruit here, I really do. Um, two other people deserve a ton of credit. One is my copy editor, uh, Sam Blake, who just takes my scholarly gobbledygook and turns it into beautiful prose. And I constantly tell him, I got this complex story of fan power royalties. I got the, the complementary nature of the service. I got this case studies and I got this fraud section. It has to be readable within 22 minutes. Otherwise, no one's going to read it. Nobody opens 65 page McKinsey reports anymore. Just be clear on that. And then the second person is Alice Clark, ANC Design Studio, who looks at my work and says, How do I make this jump off the page? That's why I keep on saying, you know, Alice, make this economics leap off the page on a mobile phone or a laptop screen so people really engage in the nature of the work. And that's my goal there is, you know, the lyric that inspired me to be a DJ was the Jungle Brothers Mike G when he said, get the message across without crossing over. I got to get economics across without diluting its integrity. And if I can use copy editors and designers to do that, and that's off my own dime, right? But it's just to make sure that a passing graduate of music business college reads that work and says, now I know what I want to do with my career. Or the CEO of a record label says, I understand it now. I understand what happens when you change the rules and you change the game. The stuff isn't easy, but those guys make it a lot easier for me to tell. 
well, it's not, it doesn't go unnoticed by us, the reader. Uh, and I'm always interested, well, I mean, you, when you do a deep dive like this, and in this case specifically, there must have been something that kind of surprised you. What, mm -hmm. was there any, what, what surprised you after, after doing all this hard work? Mike, it's a very nice reflective question to pose to me. I think when I just said, when you change the rules, you change the game, I just realized all the studies I had done on this subject, you know, some great work with David Saffier, Money In, Money Out, a very non-technical paper that we recommend students and executives to get into. It's all redundant because you can't do retrospective analysis. That's all null and void. And it's, it's really important that we as an industry appreciate what I'm trying to get across here, which is you cannot say what happens if I develop user-centric or artist-centric or any other variations that are in play right now and mapped on a historical data set played under pro rata rules. Stop. That game was played under old rules. You can't be a, what do you call it, revisionist historian, where you just change how the past played out. So the fact that I got to work with real-time data, real-time marketing strategy, real-time fan engagement, and see what happens when those rules change, and to land that point that you have a, a major hip-hop artist where his top 7% of fans make up 70% of all his money, that's game-changing because we just changed the rules. And that's the key thing. Don't do retrospective studies. Work with real-time analysis. I mean, selfishly, I, I can't wait for, you know, YouTube Rockonomics or BandLab Rockonomics <laughs> yes. or Spotify Rockonomics. So I, I, I hope you continue this series because I always learn something from them. Um, tell our audience, where can they learn about your book, Pivot, where can they learn about, you know, Bubble Trouble and just all of the great work that you're doing? Where can people find you, Will? So pivotaleconomics.com. That's P-I-V-O-T-A-L, pivotaleconomics.com. Um, SoundCloud, you'll find a big banner link to it on the website, but just for reference, that's also ten going to SoundCloud Rockonomics. As the you know, you kindly mentioned prior work, Twitch, Twitch Rockonomics, all very intuitive stuff. And then the podcast is Bubble Trouble, and that's on the RSS distribution, so you can find it anywhere. Um, we have a great episode coming out pretty soon looking at um, the latest raft of tech bubbles to go pop. Um, you know, it's crazy that we started Bubble Trouble, what, three years ago? We did a 100th episode with Andy Fastow, the CFO yeah, of Enron. Oh, that was a great episode. I waited five years to get him to come onto a podcast, and for him to give his first ever conversation to us was just incredible. But... I stopped and thought, since we started this podcast called Bubble Trouble, how many bubbles have burst? You know, you think it's the global financial crisis, 2009. No, Wirecard. No, Credit Suisse. No, Evergrande. Like, I don't have enough fingers on both hands to count the number of bubbles that have burst in our front faces in the past three years, never mind the past 13. So, yeah, with, an, with a title like that, when the stock market goes down, our audience goes up. We got an inverse correlation right there. Yeah. I bet. Well, you make you guys make economics fun, Will. And that's, no, that's Richard Kramer. He, I'm the student. He's a professor. You know, he he deserves to be on the BBC. He's that good. Well, it's, both it's, of you it's, are. It's, it's and two teams. To you, it's we two had him on team. the show last week, and uh, it's it's just so much fun because I don't miss an episode of of Bubble Trouble. And what I love about it is you guys also, besides you know having people eat their vegetables, there's there's a lot of uh, fun in there and a lot of uh, snark. And uh, I, I don't miss an episode. Can I give you my favorite Richard Kramer quote to sign off with? <laughs> Please. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to try and do a New York accent. So shall I try and hold my nose here? He says, you know what happens when your stock falls by 90%? That means it fell by 80% and it halved. 
<laughs> oh my god will page always a pleasure my friend thank you thank so you, much will. for joining us can't wait for our next conversation um and hopefully i'll see you at either music biz or south by or something and i can uh buy you a pint you got us sir you guys take care keep go. up great work. all right thanks will. thank you you've been listening to your morning coffee the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.